Good morning. Welcome to the third edition of the New England Retail Dealmakers Rise and Grind webinar series, Tenant Forum. We hope everybody is staying healthy and most importantly, staying busy. We're glad you're all joining us this morning. Before we begin, a few housekeeping items. A quick acknowledgement to the other dealmakers responsible for putting this program together, Chris McMahon, Summit Realty Partners, Evan Eisenhart from Linear Retail, and Sam Calmerton from Bricksmore Property Group. As many of you know, the New England Retail Dealmakers was founded five plus years ago with the intention of providing a focused platform for landlords, brokers, and tenants to network, learn about active requirements, new projects, and ultimately sign more deals. Our typical format is a monthly breakfast meeting for only landlords, brokers, and tenants known as Rise and Grind. A special thank you to Northmark Capital, who provides debt and equity solutions for real estate investors. We're always looking for more sponsors. If you're interested in sponsoring this group, feel free to reach out to the four of us. Lastly, this webinar is being recorded. If there's something that you've missed, you'll be able to tune back in in the video from our website or listen to the audio from Spotify. Links can be found on our website, neretaildealmakers.com. If you know somebody who would benefit from attending our events, they can sign up for our emails on our website. We will have time at the end of the program for a brief Q&A session with our panelists. In the meantime, please post your questions to the Q&A dialog box and we'll address them as time allows. With that, I'll turn it over to none other than Chris McMahon to introduce our panel. Thanks, Michael. Good morning, everybody. My name is Chris McMahon and it's my pleasure to introduce our panelists today. First, we have Cass McInnes, who is a director of real estate for Alder Partners, which is an independent franchisee and developer of Planet Fitness with 31 clubs between Massachusetts and Georgia. In addition to Cass's real estate skills, she also has a talent for finding four leaf clovers. Last year she found 35 and this year she's going to find at least 40. Um, figured it would be fun today to, to uh, add a little bit about our, our panelists beyond their, their day jobs. Um, Cass, could you please um, describe your role in commercial real estate? Uh, what's keeping sure. you busy these days? And also what has impressed you most about your company during this pandemic? Happy to. So my role as Director of Real Estate for Alder Partners is primarily market research and planning, site selection and lease negotiations. Very recently, as of March and April, the majority of my time has been spent working with, speaking with, and partnering with our landlords in both states to uh, work out rent agreement, rent deferral agreements, and payback periods, and uh, exercising lease options where appropriate. Really, what's impressed me about uh, what we've been able to do as a specific entity these last couple of months, one standout is um, the Atlanta Co-op, of where the majority of our clubs lie donated $10,000 to the Boys and Girls Club in Metro Atlanta for uh, helping with insecurities of food supply. And with those funds, that, uh, that group has been handing out car service meals, excuse me, to not only their members, but uh, members of the surrounding communities as well. Great to hear. Thank you, Cass. Our second panelist, we have Courtney Rickle, who is a director of real estate for Jersey Mike's. She works in the Northeast uh, market. Courtney has a love for sport bikes and actually had one of her bikes featured in a Queen Latifah movie. Movie or music video? Music video. Music video, even music better. Music video. So, great. Courtney, could you describe your role in commercial real estate? What has been keeping you busy these days and what's impressed you the most about your company? Sure. Um, so I'm the director of real estate for the Northeast. I handle New Jersey, Pennsylvania, up to Maine. Um, and for the most part, deal making has um, still kept me busy for the most part. So I handle, um, you know, market planning, franchisee growth, um, LOI negotiations, site selections. And since each franchisee is individually owned, um, we're there to support them and assist them if they, you know, are having some difficulty with rents or landlords. But for the most part, 
my focus has still been on deal making and site selections. Um, something that's impressed me is, uh, I don't know, there's so many things. Uh, the, the Peter Cancro, the owner, um, just the way he stepped up for the franchisees, putting himself out there, the advertising that he's done to let people know that we're open um, has been amazing. The support um, that our staff gives, we have area directors out there. Uh, everybody has really stepped up to the plate. It's really a team environment. And I think we wouldn't be able to do any of it without our franchisees. They're on the front line. Um, you know, they allow me to sit in my office and sometimes look at some of my sites from Google. They're out there, um, you know, really feeding everybody, um, being up to date with all the changes. Uh, you know, there, we had a promotion for Feeding America and in, I think it was two day promotion and we raised $2 million for that. Um, we did get hardest hit because March is our month of giving. Um, and we were, last year we did 7 million for that. So we really wanted to try to give back um, because we weren't able to produce as much for our month of giving. So, I mean, just the advertising team, the area directors, the way everyone's really worked together as a team still to keep everybody afloat has been unbelievably impressive. Great, thanks, Courtney. All right, and lastly, I will introduce Tyler Sterling. Tyler is a manager of real estate development for Hannaford Supermarkets. Tyler, who lives in Maine, is an avid hunter and has a personal record with an 860 pound moose, which I always find very interesting about Tyler. Um, Tyler, could you please describe your role in commercial real estate? Talk a little bit about what's keeping you busy these days and what's impressed you the most about your company during these times? Sure, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I've been with Hannaford for about 12 years now. I have primary responsibility for the real estate development activity in uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, and New York. And that includes uh, acquisition, new store self-development, and leasing, and a host of other small projects. Um, these days, you know, we're really still doing new store development work. Uh, a lot of our projects have long lead times, so that's still keeping us pretty busy. And then on top of that, we're Know, just doing our best to facilitate project management work uh, and really support, you know, COVID-related tasks to help uh, support our supply chain folks and our operations folks who are just, you know, incredibly taxed during, you know, the past couple of months. So, you know, as real estate development folks, we're, you know, we're project managers at heart. So, um, you know, we're trying to lend a hand whenever we can to, to help facilitate some of that work. I think probably most impressed, you know, our store associates are doing a fantastic job. That's probably the most impressive thing. Um, I think company-wide, uh, Hannaford's donated to date around $750,000 to COVID-related relief funds, which is you know, really impressive. I think it's $500,000 to, uh, to local food banks and another couple hundred thousand dollars to help homeless populations. Um, I think the other impressive piece is the fact that I mean, since March, we've hired over 2,000 people. That's a mixture of full-time, part-time, and uh, temporary associates, but you know, specifically targeting some of those workers from restaurants and whatnot that have been furloughed to, you know, we need temporary help. Some folks need temporary work, uh, you know, in a time where unemployment is really going through the roof. It's nice that we were able to, you know, fill a need that we have and help people out, try to bridge a gap for employment. So I think that's a, a pretty impressive thing that the company's been able to do in the, in the past couple of months. That's great. Certainly, on the front lines, all of you with, uh, with trying to figure this out and, and uh, take care of your customers and, and adapt to what's, what's going on. So really appreciate uh, all of your insight and, and those great introductions. Um, so what we're gonna do is uh, we've got a bunch of questions we've put together. Uh, some of them are for you individually. Some of them are to discuss as a group. Um, we'll kick it off with, with Evan asking the first question. Hey guys, thanks again for joining us. Um, so since March, we've been in COVID, our world has changed. So um, this is for everybody. Um, I'm just curious, you know, related to our industry and your specific segments of our industry, you know, how has your view changed? Are you still viewing real estate and, you know, site selection and operations the same? Are you adjusting? What are, what are your thoughts on that? I'll start um, in response to the site selection question because that's my, my predominant role. And I, I'm fortunate to say that um, 
our view is not changing all that much. Our site requirements, the most basic to some of the particulars, don't have to shift all that much for the model. If anything, I'm taking an opportunity to look at how trade areas are changing and how some of the other businesses, particularly big box um, users, may provide additional vacancies in some centers that otherwise might not have had opportunities for Planet Fitness over now or in the foreseeable near future. Um, and as the trade areas shift, there is the opportunity or very well maybe for us to relocate some of our, our older clubs that were originally in lease spaces and B and C centers to potentially some of the A centers, which would be a, a real upgrade for us. Tyler, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think from a site, a site selection perspective, I don't know that it's going to change. Um, you know, again, some of our the projects that we work on have such a long lead time. You know, stuff that we're negotiating now will open up late next year because uh, there's still an entitlements process and a construction process to go through. So, you know, we're, we're taking a more of a long-term look from a site selection perspective. Certainly the learnings that come out of this, you know, maybe enhanced focus on e-commerce um, and things like that that affect what goes into a site and our, I guess, site criteria in order to entertain a site. Um, those might change and adapt as we learn more from, you know, the past couple of months and the months going forward. But I think, you know, from a site selection perspective and our view of real estate, you know, we're, we're still focused on growth. You know, the company's been uh, year over year meeting expectations uh, and, you know, still actively looking to, to grow in our markets. And so, you know, to the extent there are more opportunities as we go forward, we make sure those opportunities are tailored to meet, you know, those changing demands coming out of this. I think, you know, that'll put us in the best position. Great. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, I agree with everybody too. Um, we haven't really changed anything for site selections right now. I think um, markets that were harder for us to get into will definitely go back through and give a good, you know, scrub through to see if there's any opportunities that have been created. Um, but as far as our criteria, we still have kind of kept it the same for now as we start to open up, um, things might shift a little bit, but as of now, they're still staying the same. Thanks guys. Great. So Tyler, kind of as a follow-up to that, I mean, it sounds like your site selection will be pretty similar, but obviously you've seen complete increase in traffic, uh, especially right at the beginning of this thing. So stores were getting bombarded. It was hard to keep the, the shelves stocked with products. Um, you know, associates were probably wondering, you know, whether or not things were safe to go in. Um, and, and you dealt with all these operational, you know, things right off the bat. Um, I'm curious, you know, will you put things in place in the future at your stores that allow for a quicker reaction to something like this? Like, one example is creating, you know, lines on the outside of your stores for to limit the amount of customers that can go in. I mean, that's uh, that's been really interesting to see. Um, so I'm curious about about that. Whether any of those things are going to work their way into the long term, and then also on the sales, just curious, like, is that holding up? Are you still seeing that real steady increase in sales? Is it starting to kind of go back to normal levels now that the restaurants, um, you know, are, are opening and people are getting more accustomed to takeout? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think you hit on it, right? This sort of, it sort of happened in phases. You know, there was a, at the start, there was, you know, I don't want to call it panic buying, but certainly people um, you know, stocking up and making preparations because there was a lot of unknown. So, you know, what was going to happen? What was the supply chain going to look like? What were stores going to be able to offer? Were stores going to be able to remain open? So, you know, clearly we saw a dramatic increase in, you know, in our store performance when that happened. And we sort of settled into, you know, still a you know, high volume of sales and traffic. Um, but at that point, people had sort of normalized to the extent they could to the situation, but we were still at that point, and I say we, I mean conventional grocery stores were some of the only options to go buy food, right? Restaurants weren't open there at that point. So, you know, so that still created a considerable amount of demand. We started to see those sales volumes um, normalize slightly as restaurants have opened up, especially to the extent they're offering takeout. And I think we'll see that you know, continue to normalize as there's more options for people to buy food out there. But you know, there are other things that have limited our traffic. We've changed our hours so that we could have enhanced cleaning times uh, in our store. 
We've also had specialized hours for seniors and those uh, that are immunocompromised so they can feel a little safer to come in and shop. Uh, and then you touched on the last one, which are the capacity limits. Um, those have been changing as, you know, as the policies have evolved since they've come out. So some of our stores have been able to have more people in it. And I think that'll, um, that'll continue to shift. I mean, by and large, I think everyone's sort of used to it. Uh, you know, any store that's open, especially when we were a um, designated as an essential use, all other essential uses, hardware stores, uh, other big box stores, they all had the same uh, restrictions. So coming across the line as a customer was sort of normalized at that point. And so I think, you know, it'll definitely be interesting going forward to see how people, for instance, celebrate, choose to celebrate Memorial Day uh, this coming weekend or how they'll celebrate the 4th of July. Those are big days for us because uh, people are going to barbecues and buying food for that. But it'll be interesting to see if people are still getting together and doing that and how that affects volume. I think improvements and changes to the outside of the store, I don't know. I don't know that we know that yet. I mean, at this point, I just think it's need more time to understand what's the temporary pandemic necessity versus what's sort of a trend or a shift um, you know, in retail. I think we can do more from a deal perspective to put ourselves in a position to adapt and make quick changes in the cases of you know, pandemics and emergencies like that. And that's something that we're focusing on going forward. Um, but I still think we need a little time to figure out how this is all gonna normalize. Tyler and Courtney, um, how important has online ordering been to your business over the last um, couple months? Pickup and delivery, and uh, you know, how do you think it'll be continue to be important moving forward here over the next couple of years? I, for one, I never really ordered groceries online, but started to over the past couple months, and you know, it's it's pretty easy to do. So I'm wondering how you think that'll impact your business, Courtney. I know you guys uh, have used DoorDash, Uber Eats, that sort of thing you know, how is that going to continue to be impactful? Yeah, the um, online delivery has been everything. Um, that's how we have been functioning. So everything has basically been um, takeout to curbside pickup to online delivery. Majority of it has been through our third parties. Um, so I think that we were starting to ramp up our app anyways before the pandemic happened to accommodate, you know, where we were seeing some of the trends going with the online delivery. So I think we'll continue with that. And I think in a way this just helped us um, speed everything up a little bit. So I think that will continue for us. And it will be interesting to see um, how it changes and if it changes the footprint of people coming in and sitting down and dining versus still staying with the online delivery and, and pickup. Um, so that'll just, we'll have to see how that goes. but it's been very important for for us and that's how we've been you know surviving yeah i think for us sam i'm sure you're referring to your hannaford to go experiences and, and nothing of else but, yeah, <laughs> um you know i mean hannaford's really we've had a commitment to uh, e-commerce um you know in the northeast tracing back years i think primarily the, the pandemic's probably done it's done a lot but i would say three major things for us with respect to e-commerce one it's just additional evidence that this is going to be such a crucial thing going forward for us and really for any traditional grocer in the Northeast. Uh, I think the second thing is it helped us pressure test our system, right? You can imagine the influx of customers that we saw come in, you know, right at the start of this pandemic. Um, you know, those who are watching, we, we shut down Antifertigo operations for a couple of weeks just to get, just to get everything right and understand, you know, how to operate that model with the volume that we were expecting going forward. And then the third thing is, frankly, I think it's given us exposure to folks who would otherwise have been resistant to trying out e-commerce as a solution for their shopping. You know, some folks just weren't interested in it until you know the idea of not going in the store was far more appealing than you know the alternative. So, I think it's it's critical to us going forward. You know, and it has been, and we'll continue that. Another piece that's an interesting part of it is um, pharmacy. We've um, you know, a lot of the folks who use pharmacies are that population that are um, most at risk uh, in this pandemic. And so we've got mail options uh, to mail folks their prescriptions. And we've also started some curbside pickup, which is not without its challenges. So I think, you know, from a negotiation, from a deal perspective, um, you know, as we lay out sites and look at these you know, new stores going forward, we're going to make sure that there's accommodations for things like that. And any store that doesn't have a pharmacy drive-through is a significant advantage just generally. And you can imagine 
that disadvantage increases exponentially when you're in a situation where people would really rather not go in your store if they don't have to. So, um, you know, our site, cre- site criteria going forward, you know, if we look at a, two different sites and they're indifferent and one's got the opportunity to provide those e-commerce solutions and really those convenience functions that we think we need. And that's going to be really important to us as we analyze these deals going forward. Yeah. What about you, Courtney? Do you think that you'll require like a parking spot dedicated to Jersey Mike's for grab and go moving forward? Um, yeah, I don't know if we'll require it, but it would definitely be, um, you know, something we will, we will look for. I think it will depend on the site. Some we might require if they're, it's that type of market where parking is restrictive in some way. Um, but it'd be definitely something we'll be asking for and strongly pushing for. Um, depends on the site, whether we'll require it or not. Yeah. Cool. So Cass, early on, uh, Planet Fitness noted that they were going to close their facilities and suspend membership fees. How have your members reacted to this? And do you think that they'll all come back? And in the meantime, what has Planet Fitness done and Alder Partners to keep members engaged while the clubs have been closed? Sure. So you are correct in stating the uh, the member account freezes and non-billing during the time of closures. Um, we are Massachusetts clubs remain to be temporarily closed. We were actually able to reopen our Georgia-based clubs this past Saturday. Um, so we're still gathering. It's only been a few days, of course, but we're still gathering uh, public response to uh, propensity to come and utilize the facility again. But during the time of the Georgia closures, we actually received some truly supportive and positive commentary from our existing members, encouraging the clubs to remain closed, even when government restrictions were lifted to be able to immediately open for uh, the true sense of safety, security, and health measures being put in place, not only for them, but for our staffs as well. Um, Separate from that, and while all clubs have been closed, the United We Move campaign has been providing live workouts on the Facebook website with some pretty impressive um, celebrities as well. David Ortiz most recently. Um, They're good workouts. Not only are they provided there, but once they are recorded, they are put on YouTube for any future views. And while on Facebook and while on YouTube, um, it is not just available to our members, but anyone and everyone who cares to, uh, to utilize the workouts. Um, And and I'll make the comment lastly, that from the historical perspective of new joins in the months of May, we're on par pretty much for similar numbers thus far this year, which is a really positive outlook as to what the general public responses and comfort levels for big box new joins. That's great. So, um, So Cass, off that subject, and Courtney, I'd like to hear from you too, because I know Jersey Mike's is all over the country, may not be your territory, but in Massachusetts, we're just going through the phases of reopening now. And, um, and Cash, you mentioned, I think bulk of Stan's um, portfolio is down in Georgia. What are you seeing, and Courtney, the same thing with, the, with restaurants is probably different, but what are you guys seeing from the consumer? I mean, it's only been about a week or so, but are they reluctant to come in? Are they open arms or, you know, what do you see any trends starting to form over the last week or so since you guys have been open down there? It's tough for me to measure trends just yet, given that it's only been a couple of days for us, but we're paying very, very careful attention to any cancellations, um, new joins, and and we we have seen on a nationwide basis that of the new joins taking place, approximately 40% are still coming from uh, people who have never had a membership in the past, which again, is a great sense of visibility as to how people are environment, excuse me, responding to the environment overall. Um, But otherwise, yes, we have seen a small spike in comparison to previous months for cancellations, but we're also seeing the offset in new joins, as well as tracking black card reciprocity use for those members who can visit a location um, that is not their home club, but has been able to reopen. So I I should have better information around that, but not just all their partners, the corporate entity and all the rest of the franchise clubs are tracking the data very carefully. Courtney, what are you guys seeing from a fast casual standpoint? 
Yeah, I was trying to make some calls to my counterparts to see if I can uh, get a little insight on it. It it really hasn't been anything that, you know, the floodgates opened up and people came right. pouring in. Um, they haven't heard anything really positive or negative. It seems like it's almost just stayed the same. Um, they were saying a few responses from sit-down restaurants that they saw in the nicer weather this um, past few days that you know anybody I guess that had like the outdoor patio and roll up doors were definitely taking advantage of that roll up door counting as the outdoor patio. Um, you know I heard rumors of some sit down restaurants doing you know a hundred thousand in a day and they were saying that they were packed, no masks and people people were ready to get out is what it sounded yeah. like. So. Thank you. It seems like the outdoor seating is going to be key in some areas, especially around here in Massachusetts, because I think that's probably what like the next phase will be um, of opening some restaurants is, yeah, you can sit outside. So we've heard stories about you know, restaurants putting up tents in their parking lots and trying to you know, get more tables so that way they can accommodate you know, additional um, customers. And you know, one, you know, full service restaurants are you know, talking about how it's like really creating a whole new business plan of having your restaurant outside versus having indoor dining. So um, It'll be really interesting to see how that all, all I'll, out. I'll tell you, yesterday I drove through New Hampshire just going through our properties and doing like a kind of a, a competitive market inventory of vacancy and restaurants were open. If they had outdoor seating, they were packed and there were tents in parking lots. People were, were dining. You know, it was nerve wracking and surprising. I was afraid to get in my car at a few places, but, um, but people, are, people want to get out and socialize. So it's positive from that perspective. Yeah, I think... We have an opening in Scarborough, um, Maine coming up on the 27th, I believe, if that's the Wednesday, we open on all the Wednesdays. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see how that happens. Usually our, our openings are really strong. Um, we like to get people out there, There's not too much hanging around usually because it gets so busy that people are just picking up and kind of going. Um, so this will be an interesting one to see. I think this is one of the first ones in my market that I have really fully opened after like all the pandemic so let us know great and that's next wednesday scarborough maine is that right yes yep yeah. waterstones great. property okay very nice all right so let's talk about some predictions so you know it may be too early to tell it may not be but I'd love to talk about predictions for the future for each of your industries so Cass, just starting with you i mean what are, what are your predictions? I mean, we've seen so many fitness concepts pop up over the last few years. You know, obviously, Planet Fitness has been um, a driving force in that and, and has a great model and a great concept, but there's been tons of specialty fitness, boutique fitness operators who have smaller spaces and rely on getting a lot of people in there at one time. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on what we'll see over the next five years as an overall you know, fitness industry and what might change? Sure. Well, I'll separate the two um, for the moment in that um, for some of the smaller footprints, and, and you brought up size as uh, what is going to be, in my opinion, a real challenge for some. Some of the, the smaller footprints that are um, a boutique offering and provide classes, group classes and group training as their predominant offering may need to somewhat adapt and change their business model and their offering because of the footprint. So for instance, if, if a location has a smaller footprint and the rest of the shopping center does not have any expansion space immediately adjacent to it, which could otherwise be cost prohibitive as well, they may have to change their model offering a bit. Uh, some of the specialty equipment requires a significant more amount of space. And then of course, for the social distancing aspect of group classes, they may have to be downsized or change schedules for more frequency and potentially extend business hours. Um, for the, the lower cost big box models such as ourselves, you know, we already have and will continue to, to change with the times, but in terms of uh, the pandemic and new guidelines, yes, we've put in place more uh, robust cleaning operations, sanitation stations, and staff management of the, the facility and product needs. 
Um, we're not removing any of the equipment from the clubs, although we do decommission, for instance, in the cardio areas, the, uh, the treadmills and the ellipticals, every other machine to provide for better spacing for the members and their workouts, as well as for the staff and their cleaning ability. But otherwise, I don't predict much model change for Planet Fitness. It, it has worked as a big box. We can work with the new guidelines. And once those guidelines for social distancing have been removed, granted, we all don't have too, too much visibility on what that time frame looks like, things will be able to go back to normal pretty quickly. Great, great. And Courtney, in terms of your predictions, I mean, we talked a little bit about your concept where you have the ability for people to come in, grab and go, um, sit down quickly for a meal and, and head out or get delivery. But what, what's your prediction for the restaurant industry? Do you think we'll see more of that? Do you think we'll see restaurants get smaller, continue to get smaller and, and be set up for that kind of takeout business from the get-go? Um, or do you think we'll see you know, a return of fast, um, you know, full service dining um, you know, the way it was you know, a year ago? Uh, what, what's your prediction for, for takeout versus uh, dine-in? Yeah, I think I think the takeout will, will stay a strong part of it. I do think the full service sit down, uh, this is just, you know, my opinion, would strongly try to hold on to some of that online capability, um, maybe still continuing to offer some of their family meals that they, you know, have kind of adapted to now. I think for us, um, I don't know if like a ton will change. Um, I think it will be, we'll have to see. We're definitely, you know, we started adding a second line um, in our stores prior to the pandemic to just help with the demand. And I think that's helped us be able to keep up with like the online delivery. So that'll be something that will definitely stay. And um, it's still franchisee preference on whether they want to try to have more seats or less seats, and it will really be just studying the market and and understanding it, at knowing that we definitely know we can function now, you know, with maybe some fewer seats as long as we can really make sure that our customer is going to be that online customer in that market. So it'll still be, you know, shifting and kind of you have to evaluate each individual market, but we have more, um, you know, a, a little bit more room to play with. And we kind of know that we have some success with the online deliveries now. So um, it'll be interesting to see when we kind of go out for reevaluating some of our, our sites that we're looking at now and really getting back into it. So. We'll have to see. So you have an app now, right? Somebody can go on the app and they can select their sandwiches and they can select either pickup or can they do delivery right through that or do they have to go to a third party? Um, for the most part, I think they have to go to a third party. I think some okay. uh, franchisees have the capability to do delivery, but for the most part, I think it is a third party. Um, but the app is, I think the app's pretty user friendly. So um yeah, we had, when the pandemic started, we, I think two weeks in or three weeks in, the owner, uh, we did a promotion that was like basically 50% off and we had full advertisement ready to go for it. The first day, you know, the app crashed. We had about like 150,000 like downloads. It was just insane. So you, people were really, you know, taking on to it and we were able to work out some kinks. We actually pulled some of that advertising and it just became word of mouth. It was just, you know, so much demand. Wow. So, um, but from what I've, I mean, I use the app and from what I've heard, it's pretty user friendly. So. Once that icon gets on the first or second page of your iPhone, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to ignore it. You'll just want Jersey mics all the time. So um, Tyler, what about you with, with apps? So if you, if somebody wanted to hand order from Hannaford right now, whether it was to go or delivery, do they go, to your website? Is there an app? What, what are people doing to, to order? Yeah, it's right on our website. Um, you know, and we're making improvements to it every day. So, so we're trying to make it as user friendly as possible. So you can pick up previous orders. Um, if you have regular shops that you do. Um, we also have the My Hannaford Rewards app, which has been hugely popular. The sign up for that's been great. 
Um, once you sign up for that and then start using it as your shop, you can start to get targeted coupons and, and rewards and that and, uh, you build up every quarter. Um, and the coupons are great. You know, we, we have a young child here and we were buying diapers. And so you started to see some very regular targeted marketing for, you know, 100% of the stuff that we were buying, which was great. So, um, you know, we've had a lot of success with those. I think, as I mentioned, you know, e-commerce is really important to us. Um, we're making big investments in it, both in, you know, just an infrastructure perspective internally, but also, you know, in making it sort of a requirement, you know, for us going forward. And are your deliveries third-party apps or are they um, direct through Hannaford? Yeah, so we only have, um, so we're only uh, piloting delivery right now in uh, the Greater Albany Capital District um, in a couple okay. of locations. That's through a partnership with Shipt, um, and that's, you know, really new. Uh, I think last year we, we started rolling that out. So, you know, that's still in sort of the testing phase, and ideally, you know, we'll be able to, listen, it's our, it's our intent to sort of um, be as omni-channel as we can. So if people still want to come bricks and mortar, we've got that. If people like to rely on doing a hair for the go order and coming and picking it up. We'd like to be able to provide that. And certainly if people, you know, want to be able to stay at home, you know, we'll see how that, that pilot goes in the capital district, but we'd love to, be able to provide that service too. And that's clearly the goal, right? Is to be able to provide every, everyone with, with what they're looking for as an option. Definitely. And I, that's probably part of your prediction for the grocery industry is to be able to do that as a, as a supermarket at the grocery store, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're starting, I mean, pretty much, well, most folks in our areas have e-commerce solutions, whether it's with a third-party partnership or, you know, like us with Hannaford to go. So it's, um, you know, it's going to hate the term price of entry, but I mean, that's really, it is becoming something that if you don't have it, you're putting yourself at really a significant disadvantage. So we're going to do a quick survey here. So I'm going to launch that right now. Some of you are quicker on the trigger than others. Pretty good outcome. Clear everybody wants to get out of their house. Cool. Cass, I feel like Planet Fitness is gonna have like that new, um, with the New Year's like resolution kind of concept. I feel like everybody was starting to get into that fitness routine, getting, you know, ready for it. And then like quarantine happened. They're like, yeah, I'll hold off a little bit on that. And now people are like, oh, this, it might open back up. It's going to be warm weather. I got to get, get in here. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those, I'm one of those people. Certainly I have <laughs> my own personal goals. I think I stuck to them pretty well that first month. And then things might have teetered off a little bit, and I participated in a couple of our celebrity workouts, which I'm, I'm glad were available to me. And let's put it this way, uh, I came out pretty sweaty, so I should keep doing them. <laughs> yeah. I think we're all in the same boat. Yeah. Um, Cass and Courtney, you know, Cass, you're a franchise group. Courtney, you work with franchise groups. What is, in hindsight, what do you think were the successes and the failures of the PPP um, program, different government programs, the uh, you know um, improved um, unemployment benefits for people? Is that affecting ability to hire people back to your uh, stores and your gyms? What are your thoughts on on all that? I can't comment specifically on on the PPP programs because it was handled predominantly by our finance department, but I will say that between our Massachusetts and Georgia clubs, we furloughed approximately 85% of our staff. And in doing so, we were able to continue to provide them uh, their benefits for themselves as well as their families, if applicable, um, which although as not as stable as an actual payroll, it was something that the company could provide. And since then that we've been able to reopen the Georgia clubs, we've brought back or unfurloughed all of our staff. 
Um, so that, that is truly positive overall for the operations and puts less of a burden on our HR department for heavily rehiring in what would be a relatively short period of time. And no issues with those people being worried about coming back to work because of the virus? So far, so good from what I've heard from our operations staff, yes. And, and certainly to be expected for, for any business that some would have some insecurities in regards to any location, any business outside of their individual homes, but uh, all positive thus far. Um, so Tyler, I have, a, I have a few questions for you. Um, a few are landlord related, but I have one that I think most people on this call have been wondering and need to know. I think you're the best trust person to answer that. So can you please explain the toilet paper crisis during COVID? I'm not, I have my theories, but. Here for my toilet paper expertise. So I would love great. to, I mean, toilet paper, real estate and toilet paper are very important aspects of everybody's lives. So true. Yeah, that one's a it's a it's a weird one. Um, that it's I feel like it's occasionally just random products. I went in the other day and there was absolutely no like cooking spray or oil, which seems like a very odd thing to run out. I guess maybe more people are cooking at home. Um, but most of the stores I've been in recently, and I try to get out to you know a couple of them a week. You know, we're starting to see stock levels balance out, um, but hard to tell. I mean, I guess if you felt like you were going to get locked in your house for a month, you'd want to make sure you had plenty of that. I, I get it, but it was kind of. Kind of crazy, you know. So yeah, anyway, all right, I'll go back to real questions now. Um, all right, so for uh, you know, we're a landlord too, and I'm just curious. You know, Hannaford's as much as the, you're you're a retailer, you're also a landlord. So, you know, what are you seeing from a from a landlord's perspective? Um, you know, are there certain tenants that are are doing well in in your properties that uh, versus not? Um, you know, has your view of a good co-tenant changed? I mean. I think the, the world of retail is going to shift and evolve now, you know, to maybe towards more central retailers or alternative retail uses to fill these, you know, vacancies that have come up. So I'd be curious to see you as a supermarket in Hannaford's, how you guys will view that, you know, what tenants you may see as good co-tenants and what you guys are currently seeing in the portfolio. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, so, you know, obviously we're a grocery company, but ADUSA, Ajo Deles USA has over I think, 1,200 uh, tenants or subtenants. So, we're, you know, we're also a pretty big landlord. Um, that landlord-tenant relationship flows through a different group. It doesn't flow through the development group. But I know, you know, those folks have been putting in some long hours trying to, you know, put our, our tenants at ease and, you know, make sure everyone kind of makes it through this to the greatest extent possible. Um, you know, for us, the classic tenants always work, you know, your hardware stores, nail salons, business, um, you know, service providers, whether it's a tax office or something like that, liquor stores in uh, states and beer stores in states where we can't sell that, those types of products um, in-house. Um, I think, you know, we've started to shift, I think, a little bit, even since you know, I've been with the company, to be more open to um, you know, having dialogues with, with landlords uh, and sort of provide waivers and relaxing some of these restrictions. I think, you know, at the end of the day, we don't benefit from having a center that's, you know, 25% vacant, uh, even if we have a really strong restrictive covenant because we're not going to do the business because we're not going to get the, the traffic in that center. Um, I think, you know, a couple of users are good examples. I mean, I'll use fitness, right? I think traditionally we, we've been concerned about parking demand associated with fitness users, but, you know, we're working on a couple of projects now where we're, we're actively looking at those users. Um, and I think, you know, as our strategies evolve, I mean, Hannaford has a pretty strong commitment towards fresh food and, and healthy living to some extent. And I think that's a great synergy to have, you know, that fitness user in your center because people go to the gym and then they go buy food. So, um, you know, we're still concerned and we want to make sure that the parking layouts are okay and everyone has their space, but, um, you know, we're being, we're more open to that. Um, another example is um, we just provided a waiver not that long ago for a brew pub. And it was, when you look at it, I mean, that's part industrial, right? Part bar, two things that, you know, are like the basic restrictions in, uh, in our shopping centers. But Really, I mean, that's a, you know, it's a great trend. They act as restaurants, they're gathering places for people they go to after work, and then they go grocery shop and go home. So, you know, again, as long as it's done appropriately and everyone has the parking spaces they need, why wouldn't you embrace a use like that? Um, so, you know, there's definitely a shift. And I think um, as our, what we do in our box shifts, our perspective shifts too. We're doing a little more home meal replacement uh, and mm -hmm. some of our stores home meal solutions. So, you know, that'll affect how we look at other co-tenants as well. So. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the most important thing, the perspective that I take anyway, is 
you know, I guess consistent and constant communications with the brokers that are working on the properties where you're a tenant or with the landlords themselves, just to say, you know, give me a call, give us a call. That way we'll have a conversation. If we don't like it, we'll be honest with you, but we would just as soon have a full and vibrant center as long as everyone can be happy. Because then at the end of the day, that's, I mean, that's what's really going to drive traffic and, and make us successful. I mean, I know from my, my, our perspective from a landlord, and I know there's a lot of landlords on this call that, um, that we're going to have to reimagine these centers. I mean, we're going to, I'm going to my centers now and there's new vacancy popping up that we didn't even anticipate from retailers that we thought were strong. So it's a backfill of those and create a vibrant center and strong synergy and good, you know, good activity and traffic to the center. Um, that's actually really refreshing to hear that you as an anchor tenant, as, especially in these type of times that are still open and thriving, um, will be open to, to those conversations. So, hey, Cass, we, you could do a deal now with um, one of the Hannaford supermarkets. You just approved it. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll Done. talk. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Very cool. Thanks, Tyler. So, Courtney, your business is 100%, well, I guess you have some corporate stores, but predominantly franchise-driven, which means you deal with a whole cast of characters. And um, that being said, you know, what have you been doing to meet the needs of those different franchisees throughout this pandemic? And, you know, of those franchisees, what have you seen them do that's really impressed you? Like I said, everybody's a little bit different and the way at Jersey Mike's is with the team and the way they have everything set up, you know, our franchise sales has done an amazing job interviewing the franchisees coming on and making sure that they really understand our morals and what we're about. And then the area directors, you know, doing their training, they go through extensive training to just, there's one whole week of just really about our, um, you know, about, about our brand and about the morals and how we function as a family, not even just about making subs. So that's a, a huge component to it. And I think it really showed through this pandemic because really, again, everybody functions as a team. Um, the franchisees just, they just got it done. They were in there. They were, um, you know, it did go through stages. Like everyone said, the first stage was kind of like, what's going on? Like our, our sales going to continue to fall, um, there was some panic, and then it stabilized. Then it went through, um, you know, things were actually picking back up, but then we were having issues with staffing and how do we meet the demands of this new online delivery when still keeping the staffing because there are some, you know, um, younger kids there and the parents didn't want them to come in. Um, and then worrying about some rent. Um, for the most part, I was there as a support if they had some issues where they were trying to either get in touch with their landlords because they were running into some issues, you know, that's what I was there for. For the most part, franchisees seem to have good relationships with their landlord. And if they needed something from them, they were there to open up just the dialogue. Um, not to say that everybody needed either rent relief or wanted to, to take it. Um, also some of the deferments, you don't know what that's gonna look like in the future. Um, so it was just really to create some dialogue with the landlord. So support was really the main thing. And then other was, I mean, some people were just still aggressive deal making. They're like, get out there, find me the sites right now. Like no one else is doing deals, go, you know, get it done. So um, there was a, a big mix, but the franchisees have just really stepped up to the plate and just, you know, kept the brand going and kept everything going. and you know, kept me looking for sites too, so. Well, that's great. I mean, it's certainly going to position Jersey Mike's to be ready to pounce when things open back up and people are out there and doing the work and they need lunch or a quick sandwich to go. Are you seeing a pipeline for franchisees continue to be as strong as it was pre-COVID or how is that kind of shaken out? Uh, pipeline as far as new franchisees coming on or a pipeline for the franchisees as new sites? Um, both, both will work. <laughs> um, I guess I think so existing franchisees, their pipelines were, were currently uh, working on wrapping a few of them up and then we've been filling them. I think they've seen the success and the fact that we have been able to stay afloat in this environment have 
has given them a lot of encouragement to, you know, get that next door going. So I think with existing franchisees, it's um, inspired some growth within them. If they weren't, you know, going to do it before, they definitely want to um, keep growing. I think also it has, as far as our brand goes, there's been more people that have looked at us um, as a stronger brand and wanted to become part of it. So we have seen both sides of the franchise sales with new people coming on board. And then also, you know, our existing franchisees have seen that as well. And they want to make sure that they continue to, you know, get their stores to grow. So it's been positive. Mm -hmm. That's a great sign. Yeah. So just a couple more questions and then we'll open it up to some questions from the audience. If anybody's got any to ask, um, you know, please make sure you're entering them into the Q and A at the bottom of the screen. But um, why don't we just talk quickly about expansion plans for the next year, the next five years, you know, CASP, Planet Fitness has been one of the hottest, you know, tenants expanding across the country. Um, what are, what are your expansion plans for, uh, for your particular franchise group uh, this upcoming year and, and the next year? Certainly. Well, uh, our schedule is not changing in any sense. We're not depleting the total amount of club count in our obligations or slowing any deals. During this pandemic, as crazy as this may sound, but we had one club that was under construction and had been awaiting to open as soon as restrictions were lifted. So it too in Georgia opened this past Saturday along with the reopening of the uh, temporarily closed clubs. So we're, we're not slowing our expansion. My role doesn't change at all in terms of filling our pipeline. It may slightly change with how we negotiate deals going forward and some of the lease terms that will need to be baked in. Um, but otherwise, uh, expansion continues. And I can, I can say the same on behalf of the other groups um, the, across the country. The schedules are not being diminished. And if anything, uh, the rest of the, the retail and um, retail, excuse me, real estate developers for each of the groups is strongly, like I mentioned earlier, paying attention to these trade area changes and some of these uh, potential big box opportunities that, that otherwise wouldn't have presented themselves to us in, to the detriment of some of the other businesses. But you know, being a part of such a large operation as this, these, these opportunities are, are organically grown and when they present themselves, we have to be ready to take them. Great. And just to add on to that, we'll combine another later question to it is who's the best person to contact in your, in your area um, that you operate stores? Do you have a broker you'd like people to call? Would you prefer they reach out to you directly? You can reach out to me directly. Um, my email is found on, on LinkedIn, but otherwise, if anyone's trying to make a note of it, it's my first name, K-A-S-S -S, at alderpartnersllc.com. Great. Thank okay. you. And Courtney, in terms of Jersey Mike's, I mean, do you have like a global opening goal for this year across the whole company? Like, do you have a certain amount of, of units that you want to get open? Um, you know, what's your goal in your particular market? Um, and what do you see for the next five years? Yeah, um, we've slowly been um, starting like last year and the year before, we've been trying to target roughly 200 new stores a year. Um, there's about seven of us, I think now, six to seven of us. So roughly breaks down to, you know, almost a deal a week for each deal maker. So um, we were, we just got shy of 200 last year and we were on target for that this year. I think our pipeline is there for us to be able to complete it, but just with some of the delays in the opening and construction, the opening portion of it might be a little shy this year. Um, that is still our goal. That's still what we're reaching for. Obviously less pressure, you know, from, from above, they, they understand the situation we're in, but we're still filling our pipeline um, to try to meet those needs. So, um, like Cass said, some things are going to change a little bit with our negotiations. Um, and there will be some things, you know, um, that we're going to try to have put in the leases um, as far as some protection, depending on when these things are going to open, how they're going to be delivered, you know, which I would think landlords would too, depending on they're doing work and uh, versus taking a space as is. So 
Um, I think we'll just work through it, but our pipeline is, we're still filling it and trying to get to that 200. So we'll see if we get to that this year, I'll, I'll be very proud of our team. <laughs> Great, great. Yeah, it's amazing how usually when you get to the end of a deal and somebody starts putting in new language, everybody gets a little frustrated. But during this whole process, it's been acceptable. It's like, hey, we have to add language about permitting. We have to add language about what happens if this happens again at some point. Yeah. So, um, you know, makes makes complete sense. So, you know, good luck with your goals um, this year. And Tyler, what, what about you? What about expansion plans for Hannaford? Are there any states that you're particularly focused on? Um, you know, what, what can you share? Yeah, we're, um, we're still really, really active. We, um, we opened up a new store, uh, as well. I think it was last month, which was in South Burlington, a relocation of an existing store. Uh, we're under construction on a brand new store in Rome right now. That'll open up in about a month. Uh, it was going to open up this month, but due to some spacing requirements, we had to reduce our construction crew by a considerable percentage. So that slowed down the, um, you know, the work a little bit, but that'll open up, um, next month. Um, we've got, uh, Brunswick, Maine, that's under, uh, construction right now. Um, so still really active. A couple of, uh, projects that are, um, we've got one in permitting, we've got, um, three or more new store leases that I'm working on right now. So, you know, we're incredibly active. I think the, most of our action is in New York at this point. Um, but really looking at all of the geographies that we, that we operate in, you know, New England as a whole is fairly mature grocery market. Um, but we're still, you know, so finding opportunities is, is challenging, but, you know, we're actively looking to grow. So, uh, and we've been successful in finding some, you know, some spots to, to pop down some new stores. So it's exciting, but, you know, we're absolutely looking for more. Great. And in what states are you the point of contact, Tyler? And you're, you're the best person to reach out to if somebody has a site, is that right? Yeah. So, so Mary Gamage and I, Mary's our director of real estate. We're sort of splitting, we split the territory. She's responsible for Maine and Massachusetts and I have oversight over New York, Vermont and New Hampshire at this point. Great. Okay. And Courtney, I meant to ask you, who's, what's your point of contact? Do you have different representatives throughout this, the uh, New England states or? We do. And I have like a, a sheet and a form that I don't know if I can send to you guys. If you send out a follow-up blast to everybody, um, I can send that out so they can see, you know, across the entire United States. But for, for my area, um, almost it's uh, every state has somebody a little bit different for majority for this call. Everybody knows uh, Pat Gallagher with Atlantic Retail is our broker for Massachusetts, um, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire and Maine. So, um, you know, you can always reach out to me, um, but you know, it's always helpful to CC Pat. He might be able to get back to you first and foremost on stuff. And if you're sending anything, just, I don't care if you don't have any description, just put an address that I can just copy and paste the link into my system to, to drop a pin. Um, because there's so many times that people send sites and they don't even have a state or a city. And I'm like, I don't even know. So that's my key thing. If you can just do an address that I can copy and paste, if it's in my area, you know, that we're targeting, I'll definitely get back to you. If it's not, I kind of forward along to Pat and say, let me, let me know if we should look elsewhere and uh, check this out. So. Great. Great. So that's a great tip, you know, put, put the address, put a map link, make it easy. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yes, Tyler, any other um, important uh, things to note when people are uh, submitting sites? We have a lot of leasing people on this call. Any, anything that uh, will, will cause you to hit the delete button right away or, uh, or what gets your attention? Um, I'll say because I don't have development rights for say all of Massachusetts or all of Georgia, if something comes to me that is outside of uh, our geography, I will forward it along to the Planet Fitness headquarters um, corporate sales department so that they can vet out whom it belongs to and who best to take a look. So I, I won't delete anything. I will pass it along if it doesn't pertain to my group. Well, while we've been on this call, I saw a listing pop up that someone sent me in Dallas. So it's important to know that Hannaford operates in Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, <laughs> Massachusetts and New York, and we don't have any expansion plans in Texas at this point. It's also really helpful if you're going to send me a plan on, and you say that it's just to me exclusively and don't share. This is really on the download, and I open it up, and it's got one of our competitors' logos on it because you forgot to change it. That's, you know, 
not do that either. That's not that's not a great start. Great tips. Thank you. <laughs> happened more than once, unfortunately. Unbelievable. It, it wasn't me. Once a week. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't happening. <laughs> Just this time. Any other pet peeves about what you don't want a leasing rep to send you or do you like email blasts or don't like you know, maybe, maybe during the time, like everybody's being really sensitive to like new sites. So obviously you guys are all active and still looking for new sites, but I think the common theme that I'm talking to a lot of the brokers and even landlord reps is that people are not sure if it's, it's okay to start canvassing or talking or is it too insensitive still? So is there advice to the group as Michael was saying that, you know, is it okay now? Has, has, should we be cognizant of different uses? Like full service restaurants, maybe you leave them alone for now, but best casual restaurants, like, like Courtney's concept, you, is it okay to call you Canvas present sites? think you know the retailers would still want to know kind of what's going on out there um i think i like the blast usually if it says like exactly the state and like the town where it is i can just quickly see if it's been something that i've been targeting or wanting to keep an eye on and you know a bunch of them i, I just delete because it's just not even something that i'm interested in but you know um like keystone I, I like your blast i get a lot of a lot of those and the, you know i'm able to like at least click on them and just see um who else that you know if it's um you know, um, who else is in there? Um, helps me just get refreshed with what's going on, changing stuff in the market. Um, you know, then I'll send it to Pat and say, hey, you think they can carve something out of that 20,000 square foot box for us? <laughs> Go call. Um, I like seeing them. And if I don't want it, I'll delete it. Yeah, I, I agree with Courtney. Um, I think, you know, it's great to, if nothing else, it's good to understand what's going on in your markets. Um, so if they're market specific to us, I think they're great. Um, you know, like I, I always tell folks, no's are really easy to come by from us. So I'll speak for Manafort, you know, no's are really easy to come by. And there's a lot of them, you know, there's, that's for sure. But, um, you know, it's, it's not surprising that we'll, we'll get some, you know, in some of these offerings that we get or uh, submissions from brokers where it'll be something we've never seen before. That's something we want to take a look at. And, and frankly, it's surprising how many times we're talking internally about, Hey, what about this market? And then, you know, we'll just so happen to get some information from a broker on that market. And sometimes that's like, okay, well, Hey, listen, we were talking about this market. Let's give this person a call. Clearly they're, you know, they know what's going on in this area. And sometimes that can evolve into a relationship or, you know, a deal. So um, I like them. I think they're, I think they're important. I, I was going to say my keeping my pipeline full and, and really flourishing is extremely important to me, even if we are looking at deals that are a couple of years out for delivery. Um, I, I want to take a look at everything. And, and quite honestly, those that come to me that are not necessarily in my area, I still put on the old corporate hat that I used to wear in the one team, one planet, whether it's uh, Alder Partners or another franchise group, we all are still uh, heavy developers. So even if it doesn't make sense for me, but fits the standardized PF criteria, and I keep in touch with those people on a very regular basis, I put it right in front of them for their consideration. That's great. I think Eva's on mute. You're muted. <laughs> so uh, we're going to turn it over to our uh, one Q&A question from Ricardo, and I'm going to let him ask his question. I think it's geared more towards Courtney directly. So go ahead, Ricardo. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so just in terms of when we were talking about, uh, even for like the Hannaford stuff, you know, creating lines outside, uh, everything that's going on right now that is allowed to be outdoors, you know, not to sound too cliche, but winter is coming. Uh, what's, what is the, the plan is on the landlord's side to be able to allow the Hannaford's to, what are we gonna do, space heaters outside for people in line? Uh, do we give them the option of leaving their phone number, going back to their car and texting them when they can come back in? Um, it's just a, really a question of what's gonna happen when it gets cold out with all these plans that are, uh, you know, made right now for being outside and social distancing. I think Tyler, that might be for you. 
Uh, sounded more Hannaford oriented. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a good, it's a really great question. I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't have a good answer for you. I think, um, you know, luckily, well, we just started summer about 15 minutes ago up here in Maine. So we've had some pretty <laughs> not great weather during, the, um, you know, during the pandemic. So you raise a good question, though. I mean, if there are other waves of this going forward, we're going to need to make some plans. And I'm positive that those you know, conversations are happening. And that's going to be, I think, the central point of this going forward from a real estate perspective. We're going to have to be as flexible and adaptable as possible going forward. And I think some of that flexibility and adaptability is going to need to make its way into our agreements with our landlord. That's I mean, some of the stuff you can't plan for. And we're going to have to rely on, you know, just good conscientious dialogue with our landlords. But to the extent we think we can plan on these kind of things, I think it's, we owe it to ourselves as a company and to our landlords to bake those um, take those things into the legal agreements that we have just so that we can rely upon that. But it's, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, this thing's going to shift a couple of different ways, I think, before we're through it, and we're just going to have to be adaptable. Yeah, I think, and, you know, I think relating back to seeing the success that probably Hannaford had with the um, deliveries, and, you know, for us in times where it's going to get a little bit tougher to get back out, you kind of, we've seen success with it in this pandemic where you can't get out and maybe focus on, you know, running some promotions for deliveries in times where, you know, it's going to be colder or you're going to be, you know, hit with a storm and stuff and just add enough lead time to, you know, allow your deliveries and our delivery services to get there safely and on time. So. Thank you. <laughs> Time for some Q&A. Yeah, no more Q&A. Anyone else have any question for any of our speakers? You can uh, go down to the bottom and click Q&A and then type in a question there, if so. Um, assuming there's no more questions, thanks everyone for joining us today. Um, Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Courtney. And thank you, Cass, for your insights. Uh, we will be posting this video on our website, and we also create a Spotify account, so we'll be posting it there. So you can listen to it if you'd like. Um, our next meeting will be going back to our standard roundtable discussion. That's on June 4th. We're going to limit it to 40 attendees because it will be difficult with you know, video for more people than that. Um, and yeah, thanks again for everyone for joining and I hope you, hope you all have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thank, Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.